The following podcast is completely fictional. All of the characters, even those based on real people, are fictional. They are just impressions by a weird dude talking to himself for your enjoyment. Hola, bramigos. Hello, hello. It is Above the Dave. Welcome to episode 31 of the Lot Scene Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about my top 2001 Disco Biscuit shows. After that, I'm going to be speaking with Vicky, the Hula Hooper. And then finally, cannot wait to have first-timer to the pod, Mr. Tom Hamilton of J-Rad, Ghostlight, Brothers Past, American Babies. The list goes on. Can't wait to talk with him. So scrape off some resin and fuck my brother Kevin. It's another episode of The Lot Scene. just kind of realizing that if you listen to this podcast in order of episodes, then I just kind of put together that I'm kind of going through the Disco Biscuits career uh, in order. Um, Not to say it starts at 99, but I guess I'm just pulling from personal experiences. So for me, it does, though it will definitely take some some even deeper dives. I did talk about the silo shows in detail from, from the year 2000 with kind of an understanding of where the band was at. I don't know if I'm going to jump too much into more into the year 2000, though I can say this. Without it, there is no 2001 for the Disco Biscuits, a year that I consider the best year of the Disco Biscuits 1.0. I think a lot of people will will tell you that 2001 is up there with one of the best years of the Disco Biscuits. So productive, and they were doing everything better, everything bigger. This was such a big year because I think that if you really want to start with the understanding of 2001, you need to go back a little bit and realize that coming off of 1999, the Disco Biscuits were self-proclaimed greatest band in the world. That's the kind of confidence they had. And the fan base was growing exponentially and everything felt like the momentum was for them going into the year 2000. And immediately they break up. I don't know the details of why. I I, I don't even care to. But without that breakup, which if it just comes down to like roles and understanding how this sound and how this thing is going to be pushed forward, if it's more of a that type of reason that they broke up, well, it, it, they got everything they needed from the breakup. Essentially, they got a guy uh, on bass who left the band, who went, wrote a whole bunch of new music, stayed very committed that he was, you know, to that sound, and then also really figured out essentially what his role needed to be. Whether he did that on his own or after he returned back to the band, I don't know. I'm not in the band, but something changed in his role, and I did discuss that. At the same time, you have John Gutwillig, who is pumping out what are about to be Disco Biscuits masterpieces in the year 2000. Again, I don't know if he would have been able to have done that. If there wasn't a split up that halted all momentum for this band at the worst possible time, (laughs) then I don't know. Do we get all all of this music? Do we get Crickets? Do we get Munchkin? which ends up being the number one played song in the year 2001. Do we even get these gems? If someone said, what would you rather have the biscuits break up for like eight months in the year 2000 and get all of this incredible music, all the stuff from the Maui project on top of that, or have them stay together and, uh, and not get all that music. uh, Yeah. We're going to choose for them to break up. Uh, Those songs are 
like the songs like crickets songs like munchkin is the is the fu- uh, the sound of the future of, of the disco biscuits so it kind of feels like everything happened for a reason with this band and when they did get back together they did do a bunch of touring at the end of 2000 and they did a nice holiday run but i'm sure overall the band probably felt like we had all of this momentum we were crushing it and then we just had a year that for a lot of people was just kind of this assumed throwaway year and so 2001 they kicked it off in march 2001 but they played over a hundred shows in 2001 all over the country everywhere north south east and west california too yeah a whole bunch of times they played i think it was 102 shows is what i saw so they kind of tried to have the year that they probably thought 2000 was going to be in terms of touring and they were trying to make up for lost time and maybe now looking back you can see that that break the necessary things that came from it and the creative things that came from it all combined just turned 2001 into a absolute it was a year that had some of the most experimental jamming that this band ever achieved and it does go back to the break because when mark came back to the band with a new understanding of the role essentially that he was going to be leading jams not kind of holding it down the low end on the back end no this guy is going to be moving this band from from place to place and really what ends up happening is that it invigorates the entire band 2001 is now mark who is shifting and guiding this band into different jam spaces and then into different progressions into into these peaks of new of these songs both new and old and you have now what ends up being one of the best years for magner i mean there's this new freedom i feel like he felt that he had um but it's also a certain restraint that he showed that he didn't show in 99 that now all of a sudden we have a more minimal but perfectly placed Magner. It it took a second probably, but with probably with with more Brownstein in the mix and really just a, a a rhythm section that was much more dynamic now. Magner had to find a slightly pulled back approach, and he actually pulls it a whole bunch more back in the years to come. Two thousand one, I think, a perfect sweet spot for one He pulled it back, but just so much tasteful synth playing. He's still very focused in on playing back and forth with Barber, and so they're really locked in. And to that point, Sam Altman, who I said in ninety nine, it was sometimes a pretty straightforward just just hitting the hi hat and the kick drum now has this bass player that is much more dynamic and a guy that is going to be shifting so much more now in in his role to carry this band from from point a to point b every single jam all of a sudden now sammy is just a whole new beast i mean he he already was great with some of the drum and bass stuff and he was and he was a guy who was just so heavy on the on the uh, snare and the kick that was always his specialty and i i don't think he can be beat and listening to stuff from 99, 2000, sure, there's plenty of, of that dark, sinister type stuff. But 2001, it's just, I mean, he is crushing this drum set the entire year. And just doing super experimental, super hard-hitting, breakbeat stuff. It was. It's so much more rare to hear just a straightforward four-on-the-floor pounding of the kick from Sammy in the year 2001 where that's pretty much all you heard in 99 there's just such a an epic shift with this guy and I again attribute it to the new role that he is finding himself in where he's got more room to breathe there's it just all of a sudden it's all making sense everybody kind of knows where to sit on top of Mark so that it just flies and now you got Barber people love 2001 Barber I love it I, I think it's both a great year for him in terms of playing how he sits on top of all of that he's really the last piece and and he's still, 2001, Barber's still got a, a, a clean sound. It is the infamous year that he bust out the Parker Fly. So for a lot of us, we hold on to that guitar as maybe our second favorite guitar to the Gibson. Uh, if you're big on 2001, you, you may feel like I do, which is the Parker Fly is the second best. Not the best, but it's the second best guitar for John Gutwillig. And it is really great to see him busting it out here. 
uh, the last few years from time to time. That's always a treat for me. And I always think those shows fucking crush. But in 2001, it was a much different tone. I mean, now Barber's so distorted all the time. He's like constantly in some overdrive of some sort. So even with the Parker Fly or whatever guitar he uses these days, it all kind of has a similar tone through all of the amps and filters. Well, back then, that was just a cleaner thing. So he was always, when he was kind of just noodling on top of whatever the jam was, it was it was way less distorted, cleaner. And for my money, again, it's another big reason I love 2001, because I love the, the, the crazy circus freak out Magner sounds, and I love the clean guitar over it. It, it makes the Disco Biscuits sound more like spooky. And but this was a band that was a different band, frankly, uh, with Alan, plus all the new technology and the development of their sound where where Barbara is right now makes sense. Back then, it was a much more minimalist type affair. So this band goes into 2001 reinvigorated. Honestly, to probably to a lot of people's surprise, uh, for most of us, because again, it is a long time ago, our first time hearing these new songs were live and they went and they took them everywhere and they did, uh, they played some of the best shows of their career. You know, it's interesting. I was looking at my favorite shows of this year because I know that's what I want to do. I want to give you guys maybe my top five, but I'm not going to say that they're the best five shows of 2001. That's so, so hard to do. I really, it really is. I think that you just can get really attached to certain shows from this period and they just become your top shows. Are they the best? There's so many great periods of 2001. April 2001 is crazy. Uh, September 2001 is crazy. November 2001 is crazy. December 2001 is, in my opinion, the most crazy. There's so much to dive into, and I know, uh, I'll be honest, I haven't gone into all of it. What I have picked over the years that have become my staples, there are going to be three shows that I was in attendance for, and then there's going to be a few that I'm just going to list that I have also come to find out about and, and also love. I was seeing a lot of Disco Biscuits, I think, this year. I did, I did a pretty good job. I, I saw some classic shows. High batting percentage this year. Yeah, but overall, this year was truly a, a huge moment for me and, and many new Disco Biscuits fans because so many of us jumped on board, whether 98, 99. We had that slower year, and now we were getting our band all over the place constantly. The Disco Biscuits basically played a concert one out of every three and a half nights. That's... Every three and a half nights, there was a Disco Biscuit show happening somewhere in the country, all over. So I'm going to give you a whole bunch of shows that I consider my favorites. If you do not know of the year 2001, these are great places to start. There will be plenty of people who can give you uh, many other shows from 2001 that are not going to be talked about today. And there are some that I'm not putting on this list, but I, I will address later for other reasons. But I do want to give you my personal favorite, and I think ones that have stood the test of time. I continually go back to them. And for people who get into this band, or people who did get into this band 2.0 and beyond, then you know these would be the ones that I would, would recommend. The first show that I think is a must-listen is Roseland Ballroom, April 14th, 2001, a show that I was so, so, so fortunate to be in attendance for. This show, from my understanding, don't hold me to it, but from my understanding, I have been told that this is a set list that was written by Barber, and that it is the first show in Disco Biscuits history that does not stop whether in the first or second set. I never actually researched it. I was told this forever ago, that it is the first show that every single song segues into another, both first and second set. Who knows? It, uh, you know, 2001 also, I mean, back then, I think Barbara was writing uh, more involved in the set list writing because I know Mark is, is, feels like Mark is more or less in charge these days. This was a set list that I know Barbara was very excited to bust out. And the Roseland back in the day was the spot. It really was. They really came to the Roseland and just threw down. 4-14-2001, I think, is really just front to back. The most consistent show. But I'll give you the the, the highlights for me. I mean, there's a home again that is so good. uh, There is a hope 
that is so good. I think I want to say that both are the openers of the first and, and, and second set, respectively. This is a, from my understanding, a Parker Fly guitar night. And so I think it's actually this show that I have such a deep uh, love for the Parker Fly whenever I see it. I'm, I'm, I, the feeling inside me of, of happiness is all because of 414 2001, if I remember correctly. There was something very noticeable in the air as this band played for these two sets. That same feeling I felt seeing the band in late 2000, man, that, that carried right over. And my first show, I believe, of 2001 was 414 at Roseland. And it's just like they picked right up and from where they were and then just leveled up again right in front of my eyes. Just the jamming, the, 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 the interplay between all of the members, the way that they just would would glide from one jam into another inverted song or another peak of another or into the beginning of another song. Everything was so freaking smooth. It was like, what is this professional jam band in front of me right now? Just just crushing it. Yeah, there was a certain feeling of, oh, here we are. Here we go. This is it. Magner absolutely tears this whole show up. He's still playing a ton of notes, but it, he's finding his little pockets to shine. He's knowing when to sit back and align with Mark to get, then give Barber the, sh- the shot to come in and then take him to the next spot and then to get and then and then all four of them can then get into that next section together as a unit and just seeing that song after song segueing one after another just it I just jaw on the floor face was melted more so than most disco biscuit shows face was melted for 1401 so that's my first show you have to hear. I'm going to go in chronological order this time for no reason at all. And I'm going to pick one that actually probably would be my sleeper pick, uh, a show I was not at, but a show I listened to so many times. I had it on CD and I just always came back to it, always played it. And the sleeper pick, a show that probably will never make anyone else's top five, but I just think it's the most sinister and dark, incredible Disco Biscuits that while a lot of jams can get dark in 2001 and there are some that I won't even talk about on this show because there's some jams that are so great I could almost just save a whole episode just to talk about those but just you know dark bang for your buck I'm saying Kahunaville that's in Wilmington Delaware and it was for the Bisco Nights Festival that they threw that year with bands like The Ally, Lake Trout, uh the new deal uh it's pretty cool this show especially the second set first thing you need to know about the darkness that is 82601 is it's the first ever reactor and holy shit what a debut this song just comes out uh in untypical biscuits fashion it actually sounded pretty worked out you know they don't i don't think they deviate too far i think the, the intro gets changed up uh with more plays but sick dark ass opener and the first time played, so that's amazing. Then then an incredible crickets into a dyslexic Vasilios, so one part of Vasilios, and then into Space Bird, and then back into Vasilios, and then into Crickets with a ladies tease. And then the set ends with Soul is Shaking, just a fucking... Because <laughs> that's how you felt after just the darkness that just happened with that second set. First set, Hope. Then Spaga into Munchkin, into Spaga, into Confrontation, and The Tunnel. I think The Tunnel was a new song of 2001. Reactor, Bust Out 2001. Let's not, I mean, 2001, let's just call it for what it is. It maybe is the best year of debuts in this band's history, too. If you, I mean, I know 2001 technically is the year, so you have The Crickets and, and The Munchkin. Huge. And those two songs were two of the most played songs of 2001. But first, our first time played, Reactor? Uh, Save the Robots, Astronaut, <laughs> Sister Judy's, <laughs> uh, King of the World. We're going to get to those two later. Uh, but yeah, just Barber was, uh, he was on one. He was on one with his songwriting that year. He wrote some of his most creative music in 2001, no doubt. I mean, Reactor is just such a unique song. Uh, and no one obviously can deny that Save the Robots is an incredibly unique composition as well as astronaut and also let me just give you one more space bird mating call 2001 i mean really look at the list it's insane how many incredible barber songs came out of 2001 
So it's the show, 82601 in Wilmington, Delaware, the first ever reactor. Uh, Encore Sound 1. Everyone's going to have a different pick for their favorite of the dark shit of 2000, 2001. This one, I I don't know. It is, there's some shit that's going down in that Crickets Vasilios that's just so freaky and weird. And God bless Aaron Magner for for this fucking show. This one was kind of the one I didn't know if I'd put in the top five, but I was real with myself. I was like, I just fucking love this show too much to not do. I know most people probably would not put this one in there. It just does it for me. Um, so I'm going to put that there. Here's another thing I'm noticing. With these top fives that I'm doing, uh, like I did with 99, I had back-to-back nights, 430, 99, 5-1, Oh, that's weird. Well, here we are again, kind of, kind of in a different way. 82601 at Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, the next show that was played after that was a week later, uh, and that was at Wetlands Preserve, 9-1-2001. I think it was some of the final shows at Wetlands. They played two nights. They did like an all-star thing the next night with a whole bunch of people, including Tom Hamilton, who we're going to have here in a minute. Um, So they're not back-to-back nights, but if you're looking at the year that was, 2001, they are back-to-back shows. 9101, I'm not going to get too much into it. I can tell you that it it is, for a lot of people, it it is a top pick. It's a special show because all of the songs, with the exception of the encore, were songs that were previously debuted at Wetlands, which I thought was really a nice touch. It's just such a great night. You could tell the band was just really locked in. Uh, Story of the World Opener, Triumph, Crater, Kemi Sands, Home Again. Uh, the Dribble of Waves, Dribble Flows, House Dog. And then an encore I remember seeing back when this first happened and just kind of busted in my pants when I saw the encore was Pig Me Into Run Like Hell and a Pig Me Into Run Like Hell. It's like, what the fuck? So yeah, 9101 was not at this show but listen to it many times. Just super tight biscuits. Considered one of the best shows of 2001. Um, and it's a really special show for the band as well, I think, uh, because, of course, Wetlands and and paying their respects to this club that, uh, you know, we've talked about on this on this pod. And, and so we're going to keep it moving, and we are going to bounce for our last two to guess what? Two back-to-back shows. Hey, what's, a, what's, a, what's it up with this band? Why they gotta? Why they gotta do it like that? And the two shows. I don't think this is gonna come as any surprise if you are familiar with 1.0 Disco Biscuits, 12, 29, 2001, at Roseland. Once again, we're we're here another for another top five show, followed by the next night, which was the first night of two at the Electric Factory in Pennsylvania, 12, 30, 2001. I was in attendance for both these shows, and I was in attendance for the New Year's Eve. Uh, the New Year's Eve, by the way, was fantastic. It really was a great New Year's Eve. There's no way that the New Year's Eve show was going to be able to like top what happened on 1229 or 1230. And frankly, it, the show that I'm leaving out of this, but I really could have put in this for a lot of people, it's in their top five. 1228, uh, 2001, the night before Roseland was absolute fire these three shows in a row it's when you take take that with the with the, a really solid new year's eve that featured all, all this theme music of indiana jones and superman and star wars uh just this insane bust out of save the robots this new crazy song from barber that they did play a couple times over the year but they did it with this crazy light rig came down over the band and it was a symbolic moment of we're you know we're taking the spaceship and uh we're gonna get you where you need to go it was one of those moments like the future is bright when we saw that crazy light rig with robots overall it was a bust out of boulevard uh into dribble which is one of my favorite jams i love that new year's eve maybe sometime we'll get more into that new year's eve show but I only can pick a few that I think are the best shows of 2001. But I'm going to say it's the best holiday run, period. 2001. Disco Biscuits 2001, best holiday run. I Don't even argue with me on it. Don't, don't, what are you doing? What are you doing? I know 99 was cool. 2000 was great. Are you really going to tell me that you're going to find four better shows than 1228, 1229, 1230, and 1231, 2001? You're not. In fact, in their catalog and all of the shows that they've ever played, I think many people will out the gate tell you 
1229 at Roseland and 1230 Electric Factory in the year 2001 are two of the best disco biscuit shows, period. Uh, and a huge reason we look back at 2001 so fondly is because it's just the sickest holiday run ever. Uh, 1229, I remember I brought a bunch of my friends from high school who didn't really know the Disco Biscuits, and we all took a bunch of ecstasy, and everyone had a fucking blast. I was convinced all my friends were now going to go on the road all the time with me, and, and they didn't. You know, the ecstasy wore off, and then they went back to listen to Jack Johnson or whatever. <laughs> but, but they had a fucking epic time that night. We just danced our faces off. 122901, interestingly, I believe it is a, a night where he or Barber plays a Les Paul, which is super rare. I don't know how many times he busted out the Les Paul, but I'm pretty sure that this was a Les Paul night and that he just rocked. He basically, he probably broke it this night. He just tear, tore it up so hard straight from the from the jump. Just to get an understanding about these final two shows I'm going to be talking about, 122901 starts with Eulogy, which, come on, guys, bust out Eulogy. Where's Eulogy at? That You got to throw that in. I'd love to see Eulogy a couple times a year. It's so good. Just like all the songs from that rock opera. It's so good. I know it's slower, but we don't care. It, it still rages by the end. Eulogy is an opener. That's, that is just showing everybody that this is about to explode. And it does. 7-Eleven into Munchkin absolutely fucking destroys. Followed by a space bird mating call with Sam Altman doing some, some of the hardest double kick fucking pounding of a drum uh, that this band's ever I've ever heard them do. And then followed by a very moon into Run Like Hell that just is a scorcher. Uh, first set, incredible. Memphis, second set, insane jam. Goes into crickets, and this is what most people are going to consider the best part of 122901. Goes into crickets, into an inverted um, Shelby Rose. First time ever inverted into crickets. And... It's crazy it's the first time they ever inverted Shelby, but also these songs are so new that a lot of things are happening for the first time. Listening to it and how smooth they pull this off, where they essentially go from crickets into this the most beautiful Disco Biscuits jam ever. Uh, essentially, there's this just the most just blissed out jam that then shifts perfectly into the peak of Shelby Rose, which had been reworked since 2000 to a much better song and Shelby has been inverted so many times since it's crazy to think this is the first time it was done because it's actually looked at it's probably the best inverted Shelby still they they did it so well the first time it's it's kind of crazy and then it goes from Shelby back into crickets raging jam that sandwich right there is one of the best the, the disco biscuits have in their whole catalog they put it actually on what was it bisco libs Bisco Libs 2, one of those compilation type CD things. They took it and maybe even like, I don't know, re redid the vocals or something on them and 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 put it out there. They even took jams, I think, from this night maybe or, or 1230 and and put them on other parts. It they know that these shows are the best, that these these two nights were uh legendary. But yeah, House Dog follows that to end second set. Great House Dog. And then Little Lie, Bernstein, and Chaznov uh, was the encore. So two-song encore of, of great tunes. Faces absolutely melted. When I if, if someone said, name a show where your face was fucking melted, uh, 1229.01 would be right at the top. In fact, what's funny about the next night is that at the set break of 1230.01, I had a buddy who just spent... The last year of his life seeing the Disco Biscuits so many times. And he was a guy who went to college and high school with me. His first shows were the silo shows. And he left at set break of 12.30.01. And we all got rid of our tickets for the next night. I'll get into that in one second. 12.30.01. We now are, are with a couple friends First set opens, Piling It High, Magellan into Flows, into Sound One, into Flows, into Shemra, into Magellan. Honestly, this set is absolute fire. The jams of each of these songs really is fantastic. There was nothing to take away from this particular set that would make you want to leave the show. I don't know what my buddy was thinking. I don't know if he was just with a bunch of dudes and they were just hating for no reason and he got sucked into it. Maybe he was just burnt out from all the shows he saw this year, but for whatever reason at set break, I, we didn't see the set with him, but we met him at set break and he essentially told us that like, eh, I mean, after the last night, you know, 
I don't know. I think we're just going to we're going to dip. And I don't know why they would leave a concert halfway through, but they did. And I, I think we all had tickets together or something. And they basically were like, yeah, we're going to sell our tickets for tomorrow night. And we let them sell our tickets at set break being like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I can sell our tickets. I don't know why. Anyway, those idiots fucking left. And now me and my buddy Nick stayed being like, well, we pay for these. You know, we should we should stay like we love this band. We, what was that all about? And then if there was any doubt about that first set, which there shouldn't be, you can listen to it. It's fantastic. But if you were like, ah, Magellan, a little too, not not unseen for me or whatever, uh, a little too rocky, maybe that was the problem that they had. Uh, Second set, Svengali opener. Uh, It's my favorite Svengali of all time. I've listened to that Svengali uh, and this whole set. Uh, It's up there with, with, you know, Maybe the most I've ever listened to a Disco Biscuit set next to the silo. Uh, I would say 12301. This particular set probably comes in third place uh, with 1229, not too far behind. Svengali, that it's a standalone and it's just straight fire. It's just straight fire. Super incredible playing by all members of the band. A great, uh, just a great jam that is exactly what you want from a Svengali jam. And I don't think that they've ever repeated quite how perfect this Svengali is. Uh, and then definitely what I consider to be the best triumph of all time. This triumph, the jam that comes from it, I know the band has used it for other things like Abisco Libs 2 or whatever. The jam that comes from this is this like dubby thing that Magner's doing with his synth and with, with the band where it's like, it's just goes into this like just disco reggae or something. I don't even know. There was they do a start stop thing, which I know man, Sammy used to do that start stop so well all the time. So many jams, just dropping it out, letting everybody else just wail. And and he would just kinda is almost like a reset and it, and, and about to be a takeoff. And really Alan doesn't do that. He doesn't really do the the start stop too much and just, you know, when when there was a choice part and it's again maybe just be how the band works now as a unit, but back then it was so like free form at times that I think really it was more of a, a situation where I think uh, Sammy used it as a way to shift and change. And if you do the breakdown, then you know you're going to come in with some energy, and maybe that energy was what was needed for the band at that moment to kind of get them over the hump to uh, to keep pounding along. And so I think he did use it as a tool for the band, maybe like a signal that hey like let's kick it up here a notch or two but it was a great tool and i and i do miss it because i mean with this triumph you're going to hear this start and stop stuff with magner that just fucking got the whole place just screaming i mean this place was losing their shit and then the jam into king of the world just mayhem at this point me and my friends were looking at each other like our friends are the biggest fucking idiots they literally are missing the greatest disco biscuits we have ever seen <laughs> they're such morons also we're idiots because now we don't have tickets for the next night anyway set goes pygmy dance of the sugar plum fairies back into pygmy with a hot air balloon fake out into ladies uh and then a standalone home again encore spy mulberry's dream yeah when we got out of this show we are now fingers in the air looking for someone uh, who can get us tickets for the next night. And we got very lucky and we got two tickets. We, stu- we stuck around as late as we needed to in the lot at Electric Factory until we found two tickets and rebought tickets for the next night. And we did go and it was so beyond worth it. Uh, I still look back just so puzzled by that i don't know if drugs were involved there was something weird in the air but yeah i mean those those shows right there if you're a fan period you need to listen to these shows if you're trying to do a dive into 2001 then these are going to be some of the first places you're going to probably end up if you ask people 122801 i'm just going to say at the palladium in worcester mass is so incredible the jigsaw sound one jigsaw that kicks it off incredible story mr don's story that follows it is fantastic really this show also front to back the the boop waves boop the second set it it really honestly would probably be like my sixth or seventh top show from 2001 it's uh, a show i've listened to so many times as well they did do a show 1227 in maryland to actually kick off the run but i'll be totally honest with you i'm sure it is great i just personally can't speak on it too much because i don't think i've actually spent too much time listening to it 
that just me might be my bad. Maybe you you are familiar and and you're telling me that I I, I fucked up with that, but uh, uh, I don't think so. I think <laughs> I think I would have known about it by now if if it was one that I would put in my top five. But yeah. This was my this was my jump into the year 2001 and I know I talked a lot today more than I normally do but this is a big one for me as well and so I want to make sure I gave it the proper attention. Uh, these are just my favorites. You know, if, if, I'm sure there there's plenty of other shows considered the best. I know I missed out on a couple other ones that are big shows. I, I do actually think I'm going to be touching base on more of them as we go on for other reasons, including I know there's some November shows. They did a lot of stuff this year also that was cool. Like they just would do uh, they did a whole run around Halloween where they like were playing off of stuff on the screens and playing jamming with with uh, I know Mauricio, the DJ guy that they they came out with Munchkin with. They did some jam with him on 11 2001 um, but that whole run they did a lot of stuff where they had stuff playing on the screen and they were jamming off of it which I know they've they did for years prior as well but that's just kind of where they were at 2001 they were just so fearless they were just pumping out new masterpieces and the way that they were jamming was such a better more cohesive thing that was going to carry them for for the, really the rest of their career, we are going to see things change with Alan. But from here till Alan, 2005, this is it. The next few years we're going to cover, it's going to be in this same type of spirit, though. It is going to be, this was a turning point. So thank you for hearing me out on that. I hope this was helpful and insightful. But let's bring out our first guest. We've had her here on the podcast before. Her name is Vicky, and she is a hula hooper. And we really enjoyed talking with her, and we're excited to have her coming back here. So, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Vicky the Hula Hooper. Vicky, how we doing today? Who am I screwing today? What? Who asked that? No, how we doing today? Oh, doing today. Pretty good, just hooping. Cool, cool. So, Vicky, are you still bud tending? Am I still mud wrestling? No, I've, I've never mud wrestled. No, no, Vicky, bud tending. Oh yeah, totes. I love bed tending. Almost as much as I love hooping. But I'm taking a lot of time next year to go on Dead & Company Final Tour. Oh wow, the whole thing? Sounds expensive. Yeah, it is. I'll have a tent and shakedown selling gluten-free, dairy-free pizzas. That sounds really crummy. They are yummy! No, yeah. Also, I do hoop challenges in the lot for money or tickets or drugs. I challenge people to see who can keep a hoop going for the longest. Oh, so you're like a shark, huh? Are you calling me a shark? No, I said shark. Shark? No, like like a shark, like a hustler? Are you calling me a hussy? No, no. I mean, like, you're taking people for their money. Are you saying I have sex for money? No, no. I'm saying you're challenging people to something that you will probably beat them at. Oh, yeah, totes. Yeah, I never lose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I always come away with lots of drugs, balloons, tickets, and money. Oh, cool. So you're working Shakedown to earn your way across the country for Dead & Company Tour. Lots of hoopers on Dead & Company Tour, I assume. Oh, yeah. Next to Cheese, it's the top showcase of the best of the best. All the best hoopers are there. Even the OG hoopers who paved the way. Like Marcy Rollins, who was the first hooper to bring a hoop into a show. Before her, we weren't allowed to bring them in, but she went to Congress and passed the emotional support hula hoop legislation that said you can claim your hula hoop as an ESH and get into shows with it. Oh shit, wow, that's a little history right there. I had no idea how you guys were able to even bring those things in. What clothespin? No, I mean, I always wondered how you were allowed to have the hula hoop in the venue. Is soup on the menu? No. Never mind. Um, any other OGs going to be there? Oh, yeah. There's uh, Rasta J. He was the first hula hooper to organize an all hooper section in every show. Plus, there'll be plenty of there'll be plenty of Instagram hula fluencers and teachers and leaders in the art of hooping. So it's basically the mecca of hula hooping at dead shows. Oh, wow. That sounds really intense. It's very competitive. Yeah, you were saying that last time you came on. Yeah, last Dead & Company summer tour, 543 hoopers started the tour, and only 26 finished the whole run. Wow, it's like the Tour de France. A seance? I guess. 
No, no, it's like a, it's like a marathon. A marathon? Yeah, it's like a marathon. Exactly, totally, we love mayor. But yeah, it was crazy. Hoopers were dropping out left and right. Exhaustion, too many drugs, but more than anything, the slower pace of Dead & Company is very challenging to hoop too. Lots of hoopers just got too slow and lost their rotation. So if they drop the hoop, then it's all over, huh? That's it. So you hooped last Dead & Company tour this past summer, right? I did for a bunch of the tour. I was keeping up until a version of He's Gone got so slow and I was on too many shrooms and lost my balance. And that was it for me. But I've been training a ton in the off season. What is what is training for you entail? Why am I straining my kale? No, what is your training like? What is my trimming like? Well, that's kind of personal, ATD. No, no, your training, I said. My training for head? I don't know, mostly high school, I guess. No, what did you do to train this off season? Oh, I've just been hooping everywhere I go. I hoop at work. I hoop when I go grocery shopping, the gym. I even hoop when I shower. That seems hard. Oh my God, that makes you hard? No, I said that seems hard. Your peen's hard? Oh my God, ATD, stop. But seriously, don't stop. What? Really? Keep going? I even hoop when I fuck. How does that work? Me on top, just hooping and riding. Damn, that seems dangerous. Yeah, you know where's the hardest place to hoop? Where's that, Vicky? A disco biscuit show, because all you rolled out custies keep bumping into my hoop, fucking me up. Lay off the K, Spunions. All right, well, I think that's going to do it, everybody. Give it up for Vicky the Hula Hooper. CN Dead and Company Tour. Okay, we are going to bring out our special guest of the day. This man is an absolute treasure, if I may say so myself. He formed Brothers Past, and they are a beloved band who are no longer around. But since then, he has gone on to play with everybody and has spawned a few more bands of his own, including his most recent amazing project that we discussed a few episodes back, Ghostlight which is such an incredible band, in addition to playing in the dopest Grateful Dead cover band right now. So he's everywhere. We are so excited to have him here. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Tom Hamilton. All right, come through the door. He's sliding into the seat and he's safe. Uh, okay. Uh, who are you? I am Tom Hamilton. The voice of the Cleveland Guardians. Yeah. Okay. What, what does that mean? I am a baseball broadcaster who has been broadcasting for the Cleveland Indians, now Cleveland Guardians. I do the play-by-play. Okay. And your name is also Tom Hamilton? You got it. Okay. Uh, Vinny? Vinny? Vinny, you here? Hey, boss. Hey, how we doing? Yeah, Tom Hamilton, huh? Is this not the right fucking Tom Hamilton? No, this is not, Vinny. This is a broadcaster for a professional baseball team. Ooh, what fucking team? Better be the fucking Yankees, huh? No, the Cleveland Guardians. Who the fuck are the Guardians? I've never heard of this fucking team. They were once called the Indians. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are the fucking Guardians now? That's right, and I am the voice of the Guardians. Well, you're not the fucking voice we're going to need today there, Tom. He's out. That's right, you are out. You get the fuck out of the seat. Okay, well, what? So we don't have Tom Hamilton here? Oh, no, boss, boss, listen. I, I actually called a few Tom Hamiltons just in case this was not the right Tom Hamilton. When I brought him out, I thought he's prob- it's probably not this one, but I got other Tom Hamiltons back there, boss. Oh, you got multiple Tom Hamiltons. Wonderful. Great, great, great. Okay, so let's uh, let's bring out another Tom Hamilton. All right, let me go get him. Hey, Tom fucking Hamilton. One of y'alls. Come on, let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are so honored to have with us from J-Rad, Ghostlight, American Babies, Brothers Past, the one, the only, Tom Hamilton. Hey, 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 what's going on? Hey, what's going on, guys? Who's this? Here you go, boss. It's Tom Hamilton. Hey, guys. Hey. 
You and your name is Tom Hamilton, sir. That's my name. Don't wear it out. <laughs> and what do you do for a living, sir? You like a old basketball player or something? What? Nah, I'm a musician. Oh, all right. We're getting closer, Vinny. And what do you play? I've been the bass player for Aerosmith since 1970. Oh shit! Oh fuck, dude. You're fucking Tom Hamilton from Aerosmith. That's right, dude. Whoa. Fucking hey, Vinny. We got fucking a rock legend right here. Hey, just doing my job, boss. No, actually, you're not doing your job. Mr. Hamilton, with all due respect, I mean, you are fantastic. Uh, your your band's pretty pretty sweet. Uh, it's just, you know, this is a jam band podcast. And so my guy here, Vinny, I, he booked, unfortunately, a few guys with the same name. And it just so happens that you share a name with a guy who's pretty big in the jam band world. I do. Oh, man. People still listen to that? Jerry died. Yeah, we're still listening to it. Yeah, shit. I, I'd ask you any questions. I just don't really have anything prepared for for you, Tom Hamilton of Aerosmith. Um, but, hey, great career, dude. Really, really cool shit. Did you write any of the songs from Aerosmith? Yeah, actually, I co-wrote Janie's Got a Gun and Sweet Emotion. Oh, fuck, dude. I mean, those are two epic fucking songs right there. Sweet Emotion, Janie's Got a Gun? Hell yeah, dude. Dude, you rock. Thanks, dude. But you're not the Tom Hamilton we're looking for. Ah, okay. That's okay. I, I'm going to go take a nap. Yeah, yeah, go take a nap. Vinny, uh, if, you could, if you could buy Mr. Hamilton lunch for this. Lunch? Nice. Yeah, I'll get you fucking lunch. I'd love to have fucking lunch with the, the guys from fucking Aerosmith. That's my kind of fucking music right there, Tommy. Hell yeah, let's get some lunch. Fucking awesome. I love this job. Vinny, yeah, about this job, if you're going to want to keep it, I'm going to need Tom Hamilton from J-Rat here, like, now. Boss, I fucking got you. I got one more Tom Hamilton. I'm, I'm assuming it's probably him. All right? Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping so. And, and I'm hoping it's actually Tom Hamilton and, and not just, like, a fifth grader named Tom Hamilton. Oh, shit, there's a fucking another Tom Hamilton. Vinny, there's probably a lot of Tom Hamiltons. I'm just saying, I'm just, we need this one to be right. Well, fuck, boss. All right, all right. Let me go fucking get him. Tom, I'm going to need you to get off this fucking seat. Okay, yeah, yeah, got you. Anything for a fan. Oh, fucking big fan. None of this, this jam band stuff fucking sucks compared to Aerosmith, man. You guys were fucking the best. Thanks, man. All right, all right, guys. Enough of the fucking shit, all right? Vinny. All right, all right. Hey, other fucking Tom Hamilton, you in there? Come the fuck out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, one more time. We're hoping third time's a charm. He's a wonderful, incredible musician, a super talented songwriter, and no one really rocks the Kangol type hat better than this next guest. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Tom Hamilton. Hey, 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 everybody. Hey, hey, how's it going, everybody? Tommy, there he is. Hey, 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 above the tape. Nice to be here. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Hey, this is it. Is this the right guy? This is him. This is the guy we've been trying to talk to. Tom T-Ham, baby. Hey, great to be here, guys. Great to be here. Whoa. Is that the other Tom Hamilton right here? From Aerosmith? That's me, man. Fucking hey, dude. You're the guy everybody finds when they search Google for me. It's me, man. And both of you are probably below me on the Google search. The voice of the Guardians, Tom Hamilton. Hey, fucking Tom, what'd I tell you, all right? Fucking beat it. He's going, going. He's gone. All right, boss. I'll catch you later. All right, Benny. All right, Tom Hamilton. Thank you for coming by, man. Sorry for the mix-up. All good. Have fun, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Talk to you soon. Oh, my goodness. Finally. What a disaster that was, Tom. Uh, so sorry you had to deal with that. No, it's fine, man. It's nothing. It was great. Tom, oh, man, so excited to have you here. You truly seem like the nicest, coolest, fucking realest dude in the game. I've uh, been so fortunate to see both brothers past. Huge fan of Ghostlight. Love that. Love this band that you've put together. And you are such a celebrated artist. You really carved out quite a spot for yourself as, man, a guy that people can turn to that, that can really play everything. Oh, okay. Someone's, we got someone knocking. Shit, Finney's gone. Uh, come in. Sorry about this, Tom. Oh, no, don't worry about it. Hello? Holy is anybody here? shit. Is that? Tom, is that who I think it is? Oh, my God, that's. Hello? Is that Tom York? Oh, my God. Did Vinny, did Vinny book Tom York? 
Hello, blokes. How you doing here? Fucking here. Yeah, I'm here for a podcast. Holy shit, Tom York of Radiohead. Tom, what are you? What are you doing here? I I was a man, a man named Vinny booked me and he told me to come here and that he said that someone was looking to speak with a man named Tom, the musician. I said, well, that's me. <laughs> yeah, no, I. He man, I'm sorry. Yeah, he left. He, damn, he must have booked like all the Toms. Uh, we've had a lot of guys come here today, Tom, and unfortunately. This guy here, Tom Hamilton, whose um, jaw's on the floor, he's actually the guest that we planned for today. So sorry about that. Oh, oh so it's, it's no big deal. I just came from across the pond, you know, and just traveled a very long time to be here to do this podcast. And what's, uh, if I may ask, what's, what's the podcast about? Yeah, it's a we're a jam band podcast. So, so we talk about various jam bands, and and Tom Hamilton here, he plays currently. In a few jam bands. Oh, jam bands. I love jam bands. Yes, uh, jam bands are quite delightful, really. Oh, shit. You like jam bands, Tom York? Oh, yeah. Love jam bands. Love big Grateful Dead fan. Love all their music. Play it all the time. Some of my favorite music ever is, is the Grateful Dead. Holy shit. I did not take Tom York to be a deadhead. Oh, yeah. They're one of my favorite bands. What? Man, that's crazy. Tom, are you fucking... Tom, are you okay? Oh, it's just... I love Radiohead so much. They're my favorite band. Oh shit, that's right. Tom uh, York, Tom Hamilton here. I mean, it doesn't matter what band this guy's in. He's in like eight different bands, but like whatever band he's in, they're gonna cover Radiohead. He freaking loves you, Tom York. He's like your biggest fan. He plays all your music all the time. Yeah, it's just, it's such a absolute pleasure to meet you, man. You're just my hero. I've, I've played all of your music for the last couple decades. You're just... I just, I can't believe I'm meeting Tom York right now. This is fucking crazy. Oh, we've got my nickels in a bunch right now. I just, I just, that's so kind of you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of, of your, of, of that. Uh, that. That means a lot to me. Thank you very much. And, you know, I, I also am a very big fan of, of, of your music. Holy shit, you are? You know that my music? Okay, fine. No, I don't know any of your music, but I'm, I'm sure it's wonderful. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's just absolutely brilliant. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, it's not, it's not Radiohead, you know? It's not that good. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm just... I'm in a Grateful Dead cover band right now called Joe Russo's Almost Dead. I love the Grateful Dead so much. You must be a really talented musician, if that's the case. Yeah. Oh, wow, Tom York just complimented me. Dude, that's crazy, dude. Dude, you must be fucking jizzing your pants right now, Tom Hamilton. I am, dude. I am. Um... Tom York, man. So, shit. You love the Grateful Dead. I mean, you know, I I can't kick Tom York out of the studio. You just don't do that. You know, if Tom York stumbles into your studio, you got to talk to him. But the fact that you actually like the Grateful Dead, that's great. You want me to play a little Grateful Dead? I could play a little Grateful Dead right now if you, if, if you don't mind. Do we mind if you play the music of the Grateful Dead? <laughs> yeah, Tom. Yeah, what, what do you want to play? Well, there's so, there's so many amazing songs that I love with the Grateful Dead. I guess, um, uh... Well, let me try this one. This one's a little one you might recognize. It's uh, it's called Fire on the Mountain. Oh, shit, yeah, Fire on the Mountain. That's sick. Tom York's going to play Fire on the Mountain. Yeah, yeah. Go right ahead, Tom.
Fingers. Holy shit, dude. That was quite the interpretation of the song Fire on the Mountain. I'll, I'll give you that. That was that was everything I could hope for, I guess. Appreciate that. Um, let me play a little, another little ditty for you. All right. What, what do you want to play for us now, Tom? You like the song Shakedown Street? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. 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 Please, Tom York. Yeah, Shakedown please, Street. Tom, give us some Shakedown. All right, here we go. heavy man i uh that really changes the whole vibe of that song really really great stuff man mm. it's such a massive song it's just, it's just massive you know so just you know when i hear it that's how i that's how i hear it you know when i when i listen to shakedown street it's just you know it's just the way i hear it yeah i don't know how but you're a pretty sad guy huh tom it's very very sad yeah very sad you want to hear another grateful dead song <laughs> yes we do a hundred percent. Tom, you want to hear another Grateful Dead song? Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to hear another Grateful Dead song by Tom York. All right, Tommy, what do you want to hit us with? Tom, tell me if you recognize this one. A little song called Friend of the Devil. All righty. Let's do it. Okay, 
that was fantastic, Tom. Thank you again for for treating us to really original takes. We really appreciate that. This is fucking crazy, dude. I get sorry. This is eating into our interview time. I just we actually got to wrap up pretty soon. Oh yeah, I don't. This is the best day of my life. Oh, sick. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. No, this is this is awesome. Well, I probably should get going. Oh, you got to go, Tom. Well, not really, because I never really planned to be leaving so quickly, but I think I want to go, go get some lunch with the Aerosmith guy. Oh, yeah, Tom Hamilton. Yeah, that guy's a fucking legend. You should do that. I can leave you with one more Griffith song, if you like. Yes, yes, Tom, please, right? Oh, God, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my grandkids about today. Yeah, this is crazy. All right, here's one more song from the Griffith Dead. One of my personal favorite songs. It's called Candyman. Oh, hell yeah, dude. All right, let's hear it, Tommy. absolutely harrowing music right there um wow tom york we are here with t ham and t hom well tom i'm not going to keep you any longer you you can go have some lunch with Vinny and tom hamilton um did i actually join you guys for lunch be my pleasure to have lunch with all of the tom hamiltons even me the voice of the guardians bug off three strikes you're out you know what i think i'm gonna get some lunch too is that cool with you guys? Absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's get the fuck out of here. All right, well, everybody give it up for Tom Hamilton and Tom York. All right, let me just wrap this up and then we'll go to lunch. Sound good? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 31 of the Lot Scene podcast. I want to thank all of my guests, Vicky, the hula hooper, and yeah, hello. Yeah, excuse me. Hello. Yeah, who are you? Yeah, I was booked for a podcast today. I'm running a little late. Oh shit, I know you. Yeah, my name's Tom Morello. I'm a guitar player for Rage Against the Machine. Oh shit, yeah, dude, I know who you are. Fucking oh man, he booked a lot of Toms. Shit. Okay. Uh, sorry, dude. Yeah, we're actually wrapping up, man. Dude, it's, no, it's my bad, dude. I was late. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's all good. You want to get lunch with? Tom York and multiple Tom Hamiltons? Nah, I'm good. All right. Okay. We'll catch you later. See you guys later. Anyway, I'd like to thank our guests, Tom Hamilton, Tom Hamilton, Tom Hamilton, and Tom York. With a drop-in from Tom Morello. Next week, we are going to be talking about the final show of Colonel Bruce Hampton. If you're not familiar, it is truly one of the most insane and kind of wonderful ways that someone has departed this earth. So we're going to get into that. After that, we're going to be hearing another Disco Biscuit song as performed by our house band Cobalt Blue. And then finally, we have arranged to have an exclusive interview with the God Fatty. That's right. Ice Cold Larry has talked to his people and they are bringing the God Fatty here to the Lot Scene podcast next week. And we are so 
excited slash scared about that. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I have been your host, Above the Dave, and this has been The Lot Six.